0: So uh, we're gonna move forward. We're, we're in our in our series in John. We'll continue the series of John. And um, I wonder, I wonder if you have ever, um, have you ever considered what you would do in a situation where you needed to prove who you were? How would you prove who you were? Especially if you had no documentation, how would you prove who you were? Uh, if you had were forced to provide validation for who you were, how would you do that? A renowned artist, Paul Gustav Dorr, lived between 1821 and 1883, lost his passport while he was traveling through Europe. When he came to the border crossing, he explained his predicament to one of the guards, and uh, he was hoping that the guy would recognize his name and recognize him who he was and let him through. Of course, the guard, however, said, many people uh, attempt to cross the border by claiming to be somebody they are not. And Dorr insisted that he was the man he claimed to be. And the, the official said, all right, uh, we'll give you a test. And if you pass it, we'll let you cross. And if you don't, we won't. He handed him a piece of, pa- a piece of paper and a pencil. And he told the artist to sketch several peasants standing nearby. Dorr did it so quickly and skillfully, the, the guard was convinced he was indeed the man he claimed to be. His work confirmed his word. How would you do it? what would you do in that situation? If you've got nothing proving you are who you say you are, how would you prove you are you? I remember, I've um, been married 10 years now. 10-year uh, anniversary was last month. And uh, thank you, yeah. Um, 10 years ago, when my wife and I got married, you know, like any, any, uh, after any wedding, you go on your honeymoon and our honeymoon, we got married in LA and our honeymoon uh, was based in Florida. So we flew all the way to Florida, Miami. The next day we were going to get on a cruise ship, uh, Fort Lauderdale for the Caribbean, Caribbean islands. And um, of course, you make these these plans and these reservations months in advance, six months in advance before we got married, we had already these reservations, the plane flights and all these things. And when the cruise, people asked, who's going on the cruise? I said, well, my wife and I chuckled at this at the time if you can remember this well David and Meredith Hurtado are gonna go on the cruise It was gonna mark the first time that she would get to bear my name and she's excited about it of course she's like writing it over and over again this is how I'd write my sign my name you remember that and you're so excited and up until then she's been Meredith Hope Johnson and she was gonna be Meredith Hope Hurtado and that was gonna be our first trip together as Hurtados right so we make these reservations months in advance. And then it comes time when we're packing and we're getting ready for the wedding and all these details, and then we're packing our to-go bags so we can get on the flight, and all these things are happening. And Meredith realizes, wait a second. Every piece of documentation I have says Meredith Hope Johnson. Uh, my driver's license says Johnson. My birth certificate says Johnson. Everything says Johnson. David, what did you put the reservation with the cruise line with? I said, well, I put it under Hurtado. Now, 9-11, you guys can imagine right now when you go to the airport, you take your shoes off, you go up to this person, they look at your ID, they stare at you a couple times and make sure you are. That's today. This is 10 years earlier, even closer to 9-11. And we're sitting there and we're going to have to go get on this cruise ship. We're in Florida and we're hoping that they'll accept that Meredith is who she says she is. She's all telling. What are we gonna do? What if they don't? You know how they're. You know they, they check everything now. What if we don't get on the ship? What are we gonna do? And I said, honey, we'll get you in the best Motel Six we can find, and I'll take pictures for the both. No, no. It was one of those situations. There is no Plan B, right? There's no Plan B. I don't know what we're gonna do. We're in Florida. I'm hoping that they'll let us on the ship. So we had this file. Like literally a file full of documentation, hoping that we could just prove that Meredith it was Johnson yesterday, and she's her tato today. <laughs> I mean, it's literally like one of those things, right? And and the only documentation that we had that could say anything was this marriage license that was literally activated, you know, 24 hours prior. <laughs> so we're thinking, we're not sure if we're getting on this boat. So we go up to the guard, and, and we're giving him uh, this this file that, that proves that we're hoping, you know, and and... I said, babe, we're not going to volunteer any information, we're just going to be quiet and see what happens. The guy takes a file, opens the lid, closes it, and gives it back to us. and says, have a nice trip, and just let us on. And she goes, David, I go, be quiet, let's go. <laughs> just don't get lost in the Caribbean islands when we get off the boat there. How would you prove who you are, you say you are, without any documentation? What would you do? How does a person validate themselves without having any documentation? This is not unlike what Jesus went through when he was on earth. How would he validate himself? How would he validate the claims he's saying about himself to the people? Today we're going to look at two ways that Jesus validates himself. In what ways does Jesus authenticate himself? What two ways would Jesus use to validate he is who he says he is? What proof? (laughs) Does Jesus provide in an effort to validate the claims about himself? And for that, we're going to go to the book of John. John chapter 8. Go ahead and open your Bibles. To John chapter 8. There's a Bible in front of you. If you can't find it, open that first page of the index there. Or if the person next to you smells nice and looks nice, ask them, and they'll help you get there. John chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 12. John chapter 8. While you get there, for those of you analytical types, you'll notice that we're not preaching on John. Chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. This is the same guy who two weeks ago said, we don't skip any passage in the Bible. If people don't like it, we still say. So why are we skipping the first 10 verses or 11 verses in John chapter 8? I'll tell you why. You might have heard of this story. It's a beautiful story. This woman's caught in adultery. She comes, to, they bring her before Jesus, which is very ironic. She's caught in adultery, but they don't bring the man. They only bring the woman. They don't bring both of them. They bring the woman forward, and then Jesus is there, and they say, what should we do? And they all have stones in their hand, and the law of Moses says we should stone her. What do you say we should do, Jesus? We caught her in adultery. Not to mention that he's not there, but we caught her. We should kill her. And so he gets down on his knees, and he starts writing on the floor a little bit, and then like the oldest person leaves, and the second oldest person leaves, and the third oldest person, all of a sudden, all these people leave because he's writing something on the ground. Finally looks up and says to the lady, hey, is there anybody here to stone you? Nope. He goes, well, neither will I judge you. And we get from this wonderful story, the saying, let him who has, the first, let him who has no sin cast the first stone. You Ever heard that story? It is a beautiful story. There's a problem with the story. And I don't mean to ruffle any feathers, but I'm just going to explain to you the problem. In the earliest and best manuscripts that we have, there are groups of scholars or scribes who would, who would copy the scriptures down. We obviously take the ones that are earliest and we value them the highest, all right? We have manuscripts from, from, people, from, from groups that were writing a hundred years after Christ, within a hundred years. So we go, that's probably the most reliable within a hundred years. And then you have these groups who are known for being very, very accurate. So you have a hundred years within Christ and then they're very accurate. Those are the ones we value the most when we think of best manuscripts. That story, unfortunately, only shows up hundreds of years later. Not in the earliest and not in the best manuscripts. And so what we have is a beautiful story that comes about probably fourth or fifth century after Christ. And it's missing for for the first several hundred years of the Bible. And what probably happened is someone along the way said, this is a beautiful, wonderful story of oral tradition, and we need to get it in the Word, and they started sticking it in there about three, four, five centuries after Christ walked on the earth. Why do I share that? I share that because the best scholars believe it's probably not part of the canon. It's probably not part of Scripture. Does not mean it didn't happen? Uh, it, It may have happened. But it just was not never intended to be a part of Scripture. So we don't preach on it like it's Scripture because we don't believe that the best, uh, well, the best authority is that it's probably not part of Scripture. If you love that story and you really love it and you quote it all the time, I'm sorry. I don't mean to ruffle your feathers. We're just letting you know the truth. All right? So we're going to start verse verse 8. How does Christ validate himself? I'm sorry. Uh, chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. But you have no idea where I came from or where I am going. You judge by human standards, I pass judgment on no one. But if I did judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am one who testifies for myself and my other witness is the Father who sent me. And they asked him, "Where is your father?" You do, not know, you do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area, near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his time had not yet come. Once more, Jesus said to them, I'm going away, and you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Why is it that he says, Where I go, you cannot come. But he continued, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, and I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, and if you do not believe that I am who I claim to be, you indeed will die in your sins. So we have this interesting interaction. You remember we're still in the we're still in this festival, this feast of uh, booths or the tents or or uh, uh, th- this festival of time where they're celebrating the God's provision for Israel. And it's really interesting. He makes this statement, I'm the light of the world. And they go, wait a second. You can't just say that. You can't just say that. you got to prove it. you gotta, you got to tell us why. I, how, how do we believe what you're saying? You don't just say that. Prove what you're saying. Validate it. Your testimony by itself is not valid. And you know what he says in this whole section? He says, my validation comes from heaven. My validation comes from heaven. The only validation that I'm going to give you is the fact that I am validated by heaven. I'm validated by my Father. Validation comes from heaven. He says, I'm the light of the world. It's one of the seven I am's. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the light. I am the way, the truth, and the light. I am the true vine. And before Abraham was, I am. It's one of the seven I am's of John. I am the light of the world. I'm not a light. I am the light of the world. And if you walk in me, you walk in the light. And if you don't walk in me, you walk in darkness. It's really interesting. At the end of this, this, this festival, this time, they would have a, a th- this particular ceremony that had to do with light. And it very well could be that these words that Jesus is saying is kind of appropriately happening at this festival. The temple had five courts, all right? Five courts. The first court was the court of Gentiles. It means you or me or anybody could walk in that court. We could all walk in there and it would be okay. The second court's like a little doorway. And on the top it would say maybe uh, the court of women. And what that meant was anybody who is Jewish can go in that court. Even the Jewish women could go in that court, but that's the last court they could go to. Then the third court was the court of Israel. It's a little doorway, court of Israel. This was men only. You had to be of Jewish descent and you had to be a man. Boys weren't allowed in there, men were allowed in there. In between the court of Israel and the court of women is where this whole thing is happening. And there's like this staircase of 15 stairs. And at the end of this ceremony was this big, huge elaborate, joyous time. Each, each step represented, There's 15 steps. Each step represented a song and a psalm, and they had instruments, and they'd go through a song, and then they'd go down to step number 14. They'd do another instrument and another song, and then they go down to 13. Another instrument, another song, and a psalm, and they'd keep on going until they get to the very bottom of these 15 steps. And at the bottom of these 15 steps were these four huge, monstrous lamps, golden lamps, So big that they'd have people like throw in oil in them. They're huge lamps. They would take the priest's old clothes, the discarded clothes, and they they would fasten them together to make a wick for these huge lamps. And at the very end of this ceremony, they would light this lamp. They'd light these lamps up and they would save one lamp for the very end of the week. And that lamp was to represent, hey, you see all this light? You remember in the Old Testament in the wilderness wanderings how God came to us and he He provided for us and he gave us direction through, remember that? The light in the sky? And this was represent, this was the God who provided for us. He is the light of the people. And the last lamp was left for the last, for for the very end of the week where it would represent this, our full salvation has not come yet. We're still waiting for our full salvation. And they light that lamp up, and Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. And they hear that and they go, Wait a second. You can't just say that. You don't get to just say those things, Jesus. You got to prove it. You got to tell us. You got to validate that. You got to authenticate that. You got to say, it. You, gotta, you just can't claim it. You got to give us some evidence behind it. The law even requires that you have to have two witnesses. Where are yours? You know we don't believe in self-testimony, self-validation. And you know how Jesus answers that? He responds in a way that almost seems like circular reasoning. He says, I'm my own witness. I know where I'm going, and I know where I came from. You don't know where I'm going, and you don't know where I came from. I'm my own witness. I have knowledge of my own origin, and you don't. I know where I, you know, there's no human who could say that. I know where I came from. No, you don't. I'll prove it to you. Where were you born? I was born in San Francisco 34 years ago at St. Mary's Hospital. Um, It was a new hospital at the time. Now it's 34 years old. At the time, it was a new hospital. My brother was born three years early at the old St. Mary's Hospital. They tore that hospital down, and they rebuilt one, and and it was the new St. Mary's Hospital. My brother was born in the old one. I was born in the new one. And yet, I don't remember anything about it. How do I know that? I know that because my mom told me. We all know about our origin because somebody told us. And Jesus saying, you have to understand something. I don't have to have anybody tell me my origin. I know where I came from. I'm God. I know where I came from. In fact, I can't produce somebody who would know that because I'm God. There is no other witness. It's me. I am God. I testify to myself. And it's appropriate. looks like, so. Well, you, wait, wait, you, so what you're saying is, You are who you say you are because you say it. Yes! Well, that's circular reasoning. It's true, but when it's God, it doesn't matter. (laughs) Because He's God. He was the only one there. His testimony is grounded in unity with His Father. He says, You judge by human wisdom. Literally, the idea is you judge by the flesh. And you misjudge me because you're motivated by unbelief. I'm not judging anyone. But if I did judge, by the way, I could, and I'd be right. You know why? because I'm connected to the Father and I'm God and I can't be wrong. Jesus' judgment wasn't biased or limited. So he says, first witness is myself. The second witness is my father. He's authenticated by his father's testimony. You say you need two witnesses. You got me. I say I'm God. You got the father. He says I'm God. Well, where is he? Uh, You don't get access to him. (laughs) We want to question him. Sorry. How do you know what he says? Well, I'm God, and so I know. He says I'm God, too. And by the way, you could just look at all the miracles that he's allowed me to do all this time. You could just look at that and let that validate me. How can somebody do the supernatural the way I've done it? But you reject all that. So I'm done kind of giving you any more evidence. I'm done kind of giving you anything else. I'll just tell you. I'm God. That's how I know I'm God. My father's God. He'll say I'm God. That's how I know I'm God. My validation comes from heaven. You don't know the Father because you don't know me, and you don't know me because you don't know the Father. And the crowd is thinking, where is your Father? Bring him out so we can ask him questions. This is a unique teaching. What is this guy talking about? His father, and and that's the basis of his validation. What is he talking about? And why do you bring up somebody who you can't produce? What's the use of bringing up a witness if we can't cross-examine him? He says, I'm God. That's all I'm going to give you. And the Father knows I'm God. You don't know me because you don't know him. And you don't know him because you don't know me. He says, I'm also authenticated by my heavenly residence. Look at verse 21. Once more, Jesus said to them, where I'm going, I'm going away, and you will look for me. And you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he come himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, You are from below, and I am from above. You are from this world, and I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, and if you do not believe that I am who I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sin. I'm going somewhere where you cannot go. You will look for me, but you won't find me. In fact, you'll die trying to find me. What does he mean by that? You'll look for me, but you won't find me. It's an amazing prophecy what's going on. The Messiah is staring you in the face, Israel. The Messiah is staring you in the face. You've been looking for him for years, you've been waiting for him for years, and yet you're rejecting the very Messiah who's standing before you. And there's gonna come a day where he's gone, and he's gonna die, and he's gonna go back to heaven, and you're gonna continue looking for the Messiah, and you won't find him. And you'll die in your sin looking, because you've rejected the Messiah from God. <laughs> he says, I, I, I'm not gonna kill myself. I'm going back to my heavenly residence. I'm going back to my real home. I'm from above and you are from below. I am not of this world and you are of this world. I'm the light and you're the darkness. You judge by humanness, I judge by godness. You don't know me because you don't know God and you don't know God because you don't know me. You know what he's saying? Unless you come through me there's no way to get to heaven. It is the claim of exclusivity. It is the claim of exclusivity. It is the claim of exclusivity. You cannot miss this. Jesus' teaching about himself was exclusive. It was exclusive. I am the way, the only way. You can only come through me. You don't know God unless you know me, and you don't know me unless you know God. We are inseparable. We are together. You have got to go through me to get to God. That is what he's saying. All right? We live in a day and age today where everybody likes to make things relative. Right? Well, you have your God, and I am my God, and and I, I, all this religion stuff, it's just it, God is love. I mean, they pull one, one scripture verse out. God is love, and really the epitome of this whole thing, the goal of this whole thing is love. And whether you get to your God through Buddha or you get to this God this way or whatever, if we just love, we've, we've done everything the Bible has to say about religion. I have a brother who... who uh, uh, when I was younger and I came to faith in Christ, when I was 15 years old, we'd have these debates and debates and debates, and I was trying to get him to see Jesus. And he would say to me, Jesus didn't really say that he's the only way. Come on, really? You think he's going to cut off half the world? He didn't really say that in the Bible. He never claimed to be God. He never claimed to be the only way to, to God the Father. Come on. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. His claims claims are exclusive. You cannot leave thinking that that there's several ways. There's only one way. Let let me let me let me try to illustrate to you this way. Let's say um, after this sermon, I say everybody, let's all go to Colorado Springs. All right, we're all going to go to Colorado Springs. We go drive to the Oakland Airport, and everybody goes, and we can't all fit on one plane, and so so we're going to. I don't care what plane you take. I don't care what airline you use. Get to Colorado Springs. We're going to go. Have a worship service in Colorado Springs tonight. So we all go to the airport. Some of you fly Delta. Some of you fly United. Some of you fly Southwest. I fly JetBlue because of the little TV. (laughs) We all are going to get to Colorado Springs. We all fly to Colorado Springs. We get off our planes, and we start looking for each other. And I can't find all of you. And so I get on my phone, and I say, hey, where are you at? We're in Colorado Springs. We're in Colorado Springs, too. We don't see you. Well, we're in Colorado Springs, and I don't see you. We all get on the phone again and find out we're all not where we thought we were. And so we all go back to, the, to, the, to the, the airport people, and we go in there, the desk, and we say, hey, what happened? I'm supposed to be in Colorado Springs. I was meeting all these people in Colorado Springs. Oh, but you are in Colorado Springs. You're in Colorado Springs of Seattle and you're in Colorado Springs of New York, and you're in Colorado Springs of Texas. Isn't it beautiful? Look at Colorado Springs. No, you don't understand. I didn't want to go to Colorado Springs of of Seattle, or of New York, or of Texas. I want to go to the Colorado Springs. No, no, you don't understand. Listen, don't tell me that Colorado Springs can be anything you define it to be. Colorado Springs is a place and I want to go there. Stop telling me that everybody has their own definition of Colorado Springs and we can go anywhere we want and still get there. It doesn't make sense. Every religion has their God. They define their God a certain way. They define heaven a certain way. They define going to heaven a certain way. You can't say they're all true at the same time. Two opposing ideas cannot be true at the same time. It's irrational. It's dumb. It's retarded. But we live in this relevant culture it sounds so beautiful you know oh yeah you know you got your God I got my God we'll all get and we'll say hi to each other there no we won't we'll be different places it's not possible (laughs) stop telling me that it's but it sounds so pretty we live in this postmodern culture relative for you for you for me for me It doesn't make sense. It's not logical. And most importantly, it's not biblical. You can't miss it. He was claiming to be exclusive. And you know what? I would say he's being pretty vague right now. I'm setting you up for next week where he's going to come and (laughs) say it like it is. The claim of exclusivity. You don't know God because you don't know me, and you don't know me because you don't know God. We are inseparable, we are united, we are attached. What's the big idea? How do, how do you know when someone has a relationship with the Father? He accepts the Son. How do you know when someone has a relationship with God? He believes in Jesus Christ. How do you know when a person really has a relationship with God? They believe in Jesus Christ. It's the only way. And they say, wait a second. We want proof. You can't come in here and say you're the light of the world and say all these things. Just give us proof. And he says, the only proof I'm going to give you is I get validation from heaven. My father testifies about me. I testify about me. And I have a heavenly residence. Well, that's circular reason. Sorry, it's true. We want proof. And then he says, the only other proof you're going to get from here on out. You've already rejected me. I'm not even going to do very many miracles anymore. There's only one piece of proof left. And that is that I'm going to die and rise from the dead. Validation that comes from the cross. Look at verse 25. Validation that comes from the cross. Who are you, they asked. Just what I've been claiming all along, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment about you. But, you who, but he who sent me is reliable, and, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. They did not understand what he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man then you will know that I am the one I claim to be and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the father has taught me the one who sent me is with me and he's not has not left me for I always do what pleases him and even as he spoke many put their faith in him validation that comes from the cross validation that comes from the cross uh, first, I'm going to let you know that valid, my validation comes from heaven. You can't see that. I'm sorry. You can't see it. I'm just going to tell you. My validation comes from heaven. Second, my validation comes from the cross. You will be able to see that one. And when you see it, it'll prove to you some things. It'll prove that I am who I say I am. It'll prove to, to you that I am who I claim to be. It'll also prove to you that I'm connected with the Father. All those things will be proven at the cross. And you know what? also will prove that everything I've said about myself dying and rising again will happen. That's the last bit of proof you're gonna get. My death that validates the claims of Messiahship and my source is coming from the Father. That's all you're gonna get. And by the way, even at that point where I die, my Father hasn't abandoned me. Even though you reject me, my Father will not abandon me even then. We will be one in purpose then as well. The irony here is that they will see him die and even hear about his resurrection which is the single most greatest piece of proof that we have in Christianity. The resurrection. The single most greatest proof that we have in Christianity is the resurrection. They will see it, and they will hear about it, and they still won't believe. The single most greatest piece of proof we have in Christianity is the resurrection. Do you know how you can kill this Christ followers movement before it even got started? They had all this trouble with one man. All this trouble with one man. One man and 12 followers. One man and 12 followers. And then they kill off the head thinking we're just going to kill this thing off. They kill him off and you know what happens? His little followers go on fire and it starts spreading like wildfire. And everybody, all, we had one man and now we have several of them. What are we going to do? They all say they follow Christ. They all say their God was walking on earth. He died and rose again. That's what they're all saying and it's spreading. What should we do? I'll tell you what you want to do if you want to kill that movement. Show the body. Just show the body. Okay, your God died and then he rose again. Here's his body. He's dead. But they don't show the body. They don't show the body because they didn't have it and they couldn't show it. Oh, well, what, if, what if the disciples just stole the body, though? They could have stole the body themselves and, and, then, and then went around and started this movement. See, our God rose again, but really they know he didn't because they stole the body. Well, that's an interesting theory. They have to somehow get through 200 Roman soldiers who basically, um, if they messed up, their life would be on the line. But they, somehow they got through 200 Roman soldiers, and they moved this big ton of a rock. They stole the body. And then 11 out of these 12 would die for the cause, for a lie. They'd die for a lie. I know what I want to do. I want to start this movement, leave my family, try to capture the whole world, and in the process I'm going to die and never Ever say anything to the effect that it was all a lie. All 11 of them would die without ever denying. And the one who did get to live got banished for life or imprisoned to a foreign land for a lie. Doesn't seem to add up. The resurrection is the single greatest proof we have as Christians. Paul knew that. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, For what we have received we passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Then he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And After that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living. You can go ask them. Some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And the last of all, he appeared to me also, and one abnormally born. And verse 12 says, But if we preach that Christ has been raised from, has not been. If we, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless, and so is our faith. He even knows it. We are standing on this one fact, one fact. He has to rise from the dead or he's not God. He has to rise from the dead or he's not God. But if he did rise from the dead, then he is God and it validates everything. It's our single most greatest piece of proof. Where's the body? In fact, show me the body and I leave the faith. That's how pivotal it is to our faith. They say, prove it. He says, the only proof you're going to get at this point, you've seen all the miracles, you rejected it, you've heard me say all these things, you've rejected it. The only proof you're going to get is that I'm validated from heaven and I'm validated at the cross. Those two things. That's all I'll give you at this point. The best proof of all is his resurrection. And yet they refused to believe back then, just like people refuse to believe today. How do you know someone has a relationship with God? They believe in Jesus Christ. How do you know someone has a relationship with God? They believe in Jesus Christ. But you don't understand me. I have my own relationship with God. No, you don't. You don't have a relationship with God if you don't believe in Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. By my own way, my own, I mean, we have our own communication structure. No, you don't. Biblical Christianity, if you're following the Bible, you only come to God through Jesus Christ. I went to a baseball game this week with Edwin Chandra, one of our elders, and called him up and I said, hey, you know, I got some extra tickets. You want to go to the game? And he was in San Francisco already. and This is perfect. I drove in, or I didn't drive in. I took, you know, public transportation. Here, I'll meet you at BART, 24th and Mission. I get on the bar and go to, I love the Mission District, reminds me of my mom, there's some places there to eat that my mom used to eat, and I, 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 I love going there, it just reminds me of my childhood. Besides the fact that there's always a new hole in the wall in the Mission District, and we all know how good hole in the walls are, so. So I go down to the 24th of Mission, and meet Edwin there, and get off the bar, and he goes, I know of a place that has lobster sandwiches, four streets down this way, and it's supposed to be off the hook, and I'm like, that's exactly why I wanted to come, let's go go to the lobster joint you know, and it's a true hole in the wall, like the lobster guy, you know, it's like, anyway. The point is, we get in there, they make our lobster sandwiches, and on the way to get there, there's this little, little lady at the corner, uh, she's in her mid-twenties, I would put her in her mid-twenties, and she said, that, oh, look at these two guys, want to help save the rainforest. <laughs> and Edwin, without skipping a beat, goes, the rainforest? Save the rainforest? What about people? What's saving people? So there's a little conversation going on between the two of them, and finally he says, "Have you ever heard of Jesus Christ?" She goes, "Yes, I have." He says, "What do you think about Jesus Christ?" And she said, "Well, you know, I, you know, I, uh, I, I just focus on living my life good right now, and 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 all that stuff will work out. I can't do anything about it, anything after I'm dead anyway, so I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about the rainforest." So we're talking to her, whatever. We realize it's fruitless conversation. We begin to walk away, and. Uh, was about 15 step I go you know Edwin it's really interesting this gal she didn't lack zeal and she didn't lack commitment to a cause um, a good cause I mean I agree with her I think we need to take care of the earth sure I don't think that trees have rights like we do but I do think we God has put us here to take care of the earth so it's not a bad cause she's on the street corners of San Francisco trying to raise money to save trees You don't do that without commitment to a cause. She's got zeal, and she's got commitment to a cause, Edwin, but she doesn't have Christ. What she's lacking is Christ. And quite honestly, I was studying for this message all week long, and I'm thinking about her. She's been in my mind. I can still see her face, No Christ. If this stuff is really true, how do we know someone has a relationship with God if they believe in Jesus Christ? And she doesn't have a relationship with God. And as I kept on thinking about that story, and replaying it over, I can't tell you how many times I played that over and over in my head and, and reliving that in my head, I'm watching the interaction. And I'm thinking about this truth and how it's so real. And I'm watching that interaction. And you know what I thought to myself? I believe this Bible is true. I believe the only way to heaven is Jesus Christ. And yet, I said nothing to that lady. Edwin was the one talking the whole time. I just stayed mute just quiet the whole time well why 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 did why didn't you say it well because my mind was turning what do i say what what if she doesn't like what i say what what if she doesn't like the message what 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 if she doesn't it's not going to flow right it's not going to sound right it's going to it's confrontational it's not fun thing to say and so i resolved to be quiet and let her go to hell how about you When we come to church and we hear things like, Jesus, exclusively, Jesus, exclusivity, that's right, amen. The only way to heaven is Jesus Christ, amen, that's right. we got to amen that stuff, we're in church. But will you tell anybody? Will you take up any opportunities this week to say something? Well, that's challenging. It's challenging for me. Here I had the opportunity right there, and I skipped out. How do we know if someone has a relationship with God? They believe in Jesus Christ. Will you tell them about him? In getting past the amens, will you tell them about him? Will you take up any opportunities this week? Put your neck on the line for the sake of someone else's soul. And if you're here and you're visiting us and you're saying, this guy, he really believes what he says, yeah, I do. Maybe you're visiting and you never come to Jesus Christ. We would love to introduce you a God that says, I'll die for sinners. Come to me, repent, believe in my son and I'll give you perfection and I'll take your sin and place it on my son on the cross. That's our gospel. What do I have to do? He did it all for us. Just come humbly and ask for his forgiveness. Father, I uh, don't feel like I represented you the best this week. Who knows if that gal as a sister or brother across the country, praying that somebody would tell him about Jesus. The same way that I pray for my brother, that you would send somebody to tell him. We believe in your word, and we believe in the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ, and we believe he's the only way, and yet it's a shame if we keep that to ourselves. Would you give us the passion and the zeal to represent you outside of these walls?